He looked back at me just as plain as day, and he said, I'm a member of the Ku Klux Klan. It would be my privilege to defend the Nazi. It would be my privilege to defend Charles Manson. People are interested in crime. There's no getting around it, and Americans love violence. Coming to a brothel, you're having the full fantasy experience with somebody who knows, let's say, that there's five different ways to give a handjob plus. You know, talk to me about morality, shut up. I tell you where you can stick your morality, man. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our very first podcast for the new Yahoo series, Unfiltered. My name is Brian Prowse-Gainey. I am the producer and director of the series, and with me is my co-producer, Joyzel Acevedo. You said that right. I'm very impressed. I did. I nailed it. Good I was, job. I was practicing on Good that. job. Uh, Unfiltered is our brand new interview series uh, for Yahoo News. Uh, it is not exclusively a podcast. It's also a video series. Yep. Uh, but we thought that the interviews were so good in the video series uh, that we would go ahead and flip it into a podcast. Basically, what Unfiltered is about is we're talking to real people with real opinions we're kind of dealing with a lot of controversial subject matter from many outspoken voices from around the country dealing with all sorts of issues. What do you think? I mean, how would you describe the series to people that ask? I mean, what was the the title? was like unapologetic. Unapo- un- unflinching. Yeah, there we go. Una- we, we're big on the uns. The so uns. unapologetic, unflinching, yeah. uncompromising. And basically, I mean, for me, I think the biggest thing with Unfiltered is right now we're living in such a polarized state in the right. country. Uh, where it's becoming very difficult for people to even have debates. You know, people believe one thing or people believe another thing. It's true. You know, we're going to be dealing with all sorts of different subject matter from the judicial system to the sex industry to gun control. And what I'd like for this series to really exemplify is the shade of gray that we all live in and an area of uh, debate and discussion where we can look at things that we might not agree with uh, but we can sort of talk about the positives and negatives of them without having some type of absolute opinion. Right. Or, you you know, you find out stuff that you never knew before, parts it, of society that, you know. Totally. Because, I, I, mean, I mean, the thing is, if people don't talk about stuff, they don't learn anything. So the cool thing about the podcast is that we're able to kind of fit more stuff into the podcast than you would actually see in the video interview itself. Right. And that way you guys can hear, you know, behind the scenes and what we think about what's going on. It allows us to give you bonus scenes, uh, stuff that we've pulled from the editing room floor. Yeah, it's like super unfiltered. Super, exactly. Super it's like, unfiltered. It's like more like deeper down the unfiltered rabbit hole. Right. So, Brian, who do we have today? Today, we're going to hear from Daryl Davis. Uh, Daryl Davis is a man from outside the D.C. area who has actually spent the past several decades uh, sitting down and getting to know members of the KKK, trying to figure out how they tick, why they feel the way that they do. The only thing about that is Daryl Davis himself is a black man. He got on this mission many, many years ago where he wanted to determine, how can someone hate me if they don't even know me? He knew all these hate groups existed, but he really thought that they were kind of hating people that they couldn't put a personality to or a face to, and he wanted to change that. So he kind of made that his mission in life, uh, to sit down with many big members of the KKK all across the country, just so that they could actually have a face to put with their hate. It was beyond me that someone who had never seen me before 
someone who had never spoken to me before, someone who knew absolutely nothing about me, would want to inflict pain upon me for no other reason than the color of my skin. How can you hate me when you don't even know me? And for 49 years, I've been looking for the answer to that question. My name is Daryl Davis. I'm a musician, lecturer, author, actor, and race relations expert. This is uh, Roger Kelly. He was the Grand Dragon, meaning state leader for Maryland when I first met him. And then he rose to the level of Imperial Wizard, meaning national leader. And uh, today he went on to become one of my best friends and left the clan. So Brian, I wasn't there for this interview and I just I just want to know how does how does a man get to that point of becoming like BFFs basically <laughs> with like the grand dragon or I may be saying his title wrong of like yeah, it's very it's it's very weird. I mean, uh, we're gonna hear a little more uh, from uh, Daryl about his progression into meeting certain members of the KKK. But basically, it you know it became this sort of personal mission uh, for this guy when he was very young. Uh, Daryl Davis was born in Chicago. Uh, his family uh, had actually worked with the military, so he spent a lot of time in many different countries around the globe. And many of the schools that he went to were pretty much these schools for, like, foreign diplomats. Uh, so that meant racism wasn't really a thing. Uh, many of these kids were from all different ethnic backgrounds, all different countries from around the world. It wasn't until he was 10 years old that he actually ended up moving back to the States, uh, to Massachusetts. When he was in Massachusetts, uh, he was completely oblivious to the racism in our own country until one incident. And what Daryl had explained to me was he wanted to be a Cub Scout, um, you know, which is like the junior Boy Scouts. And there was a big uh, Cub Scout parade. Uh, he got to hold the flag. He got to be in the leader of the parade. He was very excited about it. As a kid, it was like, you know, I guess like a big position in the parade or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And as he was walking down the street, he was getting pelted uh, by rocks and pebbles and bottles. And, oh, my God. Yeah, all these uh, awful people uh, in Massachusetts at the time. What year was that? Uh, so this was actually, this would have been like around the late 60s at some point. He okay. was, uh, he, yeah, he was just around 10 years old. Um, the sad thing was that while this was happening, Daryl's initial reaction was, wow, these people must hate the Cub Scouts. He's like, he's like it, it was just completely beyond him that this was happening to him uh, because of the color of his skin. And it really wasn't until he went home that day and uh, I guess basically sat down by his parents and he was kind of explained, uh, you know, what racism in America was and uh, how some people view him uh, just based on the color of his skin. And it kind of blew his mind. Um, you know, rather than him being completely offended or horrified by it, he was more, um, it kind of made him more curious. It didn't make any sense to him that, you know, someone could hate him without personally knowing him or knowing who he was as a person and just based on superficial reasons. Right. And who hates 10-year-old Cub Scouts? Yeah, well. Like, or throws rocks at them. I guess uh, Massachusetts in the 60s. Right. Hateful, hateful <laughs> racist people. That's who. Hateful, racist people. Uh, yeah, it was pretty awful. So, uh, so Daryl grew up with this always on his mind. Uh, but as he got older, uh, he actually ended up having a very successful career in music. Um, Daryl is an amazing musician. Uh, I got to watch him play piano myself. It's mind-blowing seeing this guy go to work. Uh, he's worked with some of the greats, uh, from Chuck Berry to Jerry Lee Lewis. 
B.B. Uh, King. Whoa. Um, actually, he even, uh, believe it or not, jammed out with uh, President Bill Clinton uh, wow. at one point in time. Yeah. Uh, I think it was like at a fundraiser. He was playing piano and Clinton was playing saxophone. Okay, Daryl. <laughs> so, okay. So Daryl does it. Daryl does, you know, he does, uh, you know, blues, uh, R&B, and boogie-woogie rock and roll. And, you know, he is uh, a classic uh, old-school rock and roll guy. And what's interesting is it's that love and fusion of that music that would kind of lead him into his next step of discovery involving race relations in America. One night in 1983, I find myself playing in a uh, country music bar. And a white gentleman, probably in his mid to late 40s, came up behind me and he says, man, I really like your all's music. He was fascinated with me and he wanted to buy me a drink. And he says, you know, this is the first time I ever sat down and had a drink with a black man. And I said, why? He looked back at me just as plain as day, and he said, I'm a member of the Ku Klux Klan. I realized maybe I had found the way to get my answer to my question of how can you hate me when you don't even know me? Who better to ask? I learned that they are human beings. And oftentimes, you know, they care about the same things that I care about. We, we each may have a different um, idea on how to go about getting those things. Uh, I'm more inclusive of everybody, where he was more exclusive of people who just look like him. So at that point, I decided, you know, I need to go and interview other clan people. And I'll go around the country and, and do that, and then put it all together, and I would have a book. So backtracking a bit here, who was Roger Kelly? So Roger Kelly was a really big deal in the 80s. When he first met Daryl Davis, he was referred to as the Grand Dragon of the KKK. And the Grand Dragon, they all have these kind of silly names. Uh, it's, it's like all, D&D characters. It, it, yeah. it, it sounds like Dungeons and Dragons type stuff. Everyone's like a dragon or a wizard or a knight or, uh, you know. Uh, so basically, but... The dragon is the state leader, and the imperial wizard is the national leader, who kind of oversees some of the other leaders of the states. Okay. Uh, so basically, Roger Kelly was a big deal. He was the uh, state leader of uh, Maryland at the time, but then he actually did become the national leader at some point in time. That was the kind of the first big get that Daryl had ever gotten as far as another Klansman that he got to sit down with um, after meeting that guy in the bar and meeting a couple of other guys. Um, how did he How did he get to, to talk to this guy? So I asked him about that. And I mean, this guy doesn't seem like he would talk to a black dude, you know. Totally. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And so he apparently he had no idea. Daryl Davis had a secretary who would actually book some of these appointments for him. So he would use her to contact some of these clan members. Mm. And then she would just say, oh, I'm working for this guy who's writing a book uh, about the clan. He would love to talk to you about it. She would never, ever mention uh, that the guy was black. So now they're really tight. And is, I mean, is this guy still in the KKK? That must be awkward. He's like, not. In, in a lot of ways, I think Kelly helped kind of legitimize uh, Davis's mission by introducing him to other members of the KKK. Because now this wasn't like just some rando guy in the K. This was right. like a big member of the K, of the yeah. KKK. And uh, what ended up happening, ironically enough, was that um, Roger Kelly left 
the KKK, uh, mainly due to his relationship with Daryl Davis. Whoa. And the whole Maryland's chapter of the KKK kind of disintegrated because of it. Uh, it still doesn't exist to this day. And, you know, one funny little side note is uh, Daryl and Roger Kelly are still very tight, and Daryl's actually the godfather of Roger Kelly's daughter. Wow. That's, that's a great ending. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, you know, the funny thing is, is that Daryl has always said that through having these conversations and through meeting these people, it wasn't a mission to convert people. It wasn't a mission to get people out of the Klan. It was just a mission to talk. It was just a mission for people to actually see people for what they are. And he says the most fortunate product of doing that is that people have left the Klan. And, uh, you know, at, at this point in time, there's been almost 200 people that have left the Klan because of Daryl Davis's involvement in this project. In the process of seeking these answers, I began seeing people uh, over time rescind their beliefs. And the next thing I know, that ideology was being shed. And I ended up with robes and hoods. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you know, I'm onto something here. Let me see if it happens again. And I would continue and it would happen again and again and again and again. Here we have the robe of an imperial wizard. This green is the color for the grand dragon with green adornments. This person here, he went to prison for four years for conspiring to bomb a synagogue in Baltimore. I met him when he came out of prison. He and I became the best of friends over time. Now, as a clan leader, you have to have a regular job. This is his uniform. He was a bona fide Klansman on the Baltimore City Police Force. I maintain my friendships with the people that I've met. Some are still in the Klan. Many have gotten out, and we remain friends and go out and hang out and do things together. At this point in time, I probably have maybe less than 45 or more than 40 robes and hoods. I'm glad that I have these things because it means the people who wore these things, who believed in what these things stood for, no longer wear them and no longer believe in them. So what's it like to see those robes and hoods in person? I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. Um, so, you know, basically Daryl's, Daryl's whole apartment is interesting. You know, he lives in the suburbs right outside of DC and uh, where we interviewed him, there are all these um, picture frames. And the picture frames are interesting because it's all these great musicians like Chuck Berry, like B.B. King, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis. Um, and then right next to all those photos are all these guys in robes and hoods uh, <laughs> that, that he's sitting there, you know, smiling at the camera with. He's, you know, he's got his arms around some of these guys. And right. it's this sort of strange. Like confusing. It's weird. Yeah. And, then, and then he brings, so he, he brought out the robes for us to take a look at, you know, which you'll, you see in the video. And, you know, in his closet, he's got, uh, like you said, about 40 to 45 of these robes. And it's weird. I mean, when you pull something out like that, I mean, it's definitely... Uh, the mood changes. And it wasn't even just the robes. I mean, you have all these robes, you had all these banners, and then there was these uh, T-shirts that were terrible. There was one with, you know, Martin Luther King uh, with a... With a uh, crosshairs. With crosshairs yeah. on his face, you know, and it says, uh, I have my dream. And um, 
But Daryl had, you know, a ton of this stuff. And I guess the intention is that at one point, at, at some point in time, he kind of hopes, hopes to open up a museum to sort of showcase these things. Oh, that's smart. I was so, I found it interesting that he didn't, like, burn them or get rid of them or anything like that, that he still keeps them around. Some people don't like it. Some people think, think it's weird that he has them. That, I mean, yeah. Know, that it's sort of like... You know, what are you doing with this stuff? Like, you yeah, know, like why why are you using this as a conversation starter? This stuff should be immediately burned and destroyed. Yeah, why is this in your house? Why are you keeping this? And you know, but I think you know you you learn from the past. You learn from you know we we I, we as Americans have a big history of trying to make our you know make our history very pretty. You know, we kind of we kind of skip over. This is true. This lot, is true. We skip over a lot right. of terrible things. The Native Americans just moved. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's what you learn when you're like a little kid, right? And and um, but as time goes on, I mean, people are obviously trying to change that and and trying to be more historically accurate. You know, the way Daryl says he doesn't want to get rid of these things. Um, there's been a lot of talk lately uh, about um, Confederate soldier statues uh, in the country that have led. Uh, I mean, that's what Charlottesville, in theory, was all about. Was, right. You know, the protesting, uh, the Robert E. Lee statue. Daryl's perspective is that these statues should. Uh, not be destroyed, but they should be relocated um, and that they should be put into something like a museum where we can remember things of a certain time. I mean, it's hard when you try to value the art and whatever that's been produced in history, but you're trying to come correct on today's Yeah, some people also, like, confuse, like, preserving something with, like, saying, like, no, this has some sort of value to preserve. And then they take that kind of personally, which is like, no, this is more like... You know, to make so people know that this happened, like this was a point in time, totally. and to learn from it, totally yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, like what's what's the benefit of just eliminating something and pretending like it never happened? Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, the, the uh, but you know, we were seeing in the news more and more today the you know the defense of the Confederate statues, which I feel like many groups are mainly may not may or may not believe in, but they're using that as sort of a soapbox for them to come out uh, to talk about their own beliefs in uh, white identity in America today. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The media has misrepresented what happened in Charlottesville. What they're trying to put across to people is that the alt-right and these people were down in Charlottesville to protest the removal of the Robert E. Lee statue. That is false. Their purpose there was to initiate the beginning steps of a race war. And I know that for a fact, because I know some of these people. So now they changed the name from white supremacy to white separatists to white nationalists to um, alt-right. It's the same thing. A rose by any other name is still a rose. As we get closer and closer to the year 2042, the uh, white supremacist element in this country, which includes the Klan, the neo-Nazis, the alt-right, one thing that they say is that the population of this country will be 50-50. 50% white, 50% non-white. They call it the browning of America, they also call it white genocide. And the neo-Nazis and Klan people tell me, Daryl, I don't want my grandkids to be brown. And as we get closer and closer to that, you're gonna see more incidents 
of hate and violence. For those who don't know, this is an actual fact. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, ethnic and racial minorities will become the population majority by 2042. And that's what the white supremacists are concerned about. The browning, as, as Daryl describes it, white genocide or the browning of America. Those are the terms that you hear thrown around all of these alt-right rallies that we're seeing more and more of on TV today. And to Daryl's point, I mean, Daryl believes that the closer we get to that year, the more and more of these rallies we're going to see, you know, which is kind of frightening. I, yeah. I, I, unfortunately, as a journalist, I've had to profile a couple of these rallies. And How were uh, they? It's, you know, it's weird. Um, it's sad. I feel like there's a lot of disillusioned youth that don't understand the severity of participating in these things and will hopefully regret them years later. I, Do you see a lot of young people at these things? I see predominantly young people at Whoa. these things. Yeah, that's okay. there's there's a big divide right now. Um, you know, Daryl's kind of speaking to the KKK and sort of a, a, an older version of these hate groups. Uh, but we're you know obviously we're very familiar with the alt right now and a lot of these brand new neo Nazi parties that are happening. And you know everything between social media and 4chan and all these things on the internet have sort of created an opportunity for um, more and more of these guys to grow. And because we're so polarized today, uh, it's kind of rough because some guys that are on the fence about joining in some of these things are kind of pushed into them sometimes by talking to people on the left or, you know, not agreeing. You know, nobody really has discussions anymore. Right. Everyone's on this side or on that side. Or, or I feel like they're so frustrated. They're looking for an answer right. as to, like, what, you know, the kinds of stuff that's been happening to them. Sure. And, you know, that's what they latch on to is that, oh, you know. You see a lot of these guys that live, like, in the Appalachian area, and they're, like, you know, they're the farthest thing removed from, say, like, a New York or a Los Angeles type right. lifestyle. Right. Um, and they're kind of blaming this browning of America or this white genocide, I think, on some of their own issues, you know. Right. Why they can't get work or why they can't get a girlfriend or why they can't get whatever. Um, you find other angry young white men to kind of throw in with, and then all of a sudden you have more and more of these groups. And now they seem to be okay with being in the public eye. Right, and so now you have these new movements popping up like Black Lives Matter, um, which I thought somehow they'd be supportive of Daryl's work, and yet I was surprised to find exactly. out that they weren't for, right. for a while. Um, just recently... Uh, Daryl and uh, some of the members, uh, some of the head members of Black Lives Matter have made up. Um, but yeah, there was, Daryl was featured in a documentary that came out a couple of years ago called An Accidental Courtesy. And you can actually see it in that documentary. He gets into a pretty big verbal argument with members of BLM. And it's interesting because, you know, BLM's perspective is that what he's doing is it's almost making light of the situation. You're having fun with these guys. You think it's cute to hang out with the guy in the Klan robe. Uh, you know, why are you breaking bread with these guys uh, that would want to see us dead? And yeah, like being friends with the enemy. Totally. Kind and, of. And, and why do we need to give these guys the extra attention? Why aren't we deserving of that? Or, you know, why even go that route? And I kind of get it. And I kind of get, you know, and especially uh, some of the very major active members of BLM that are out there in the streets um, protesting every day. They're not seeing Daryl Davis do that. So they're kind of considering what his form of race relations is doing is completely opposite of what they're trying to achieve. But, uh, but Daryl always says that, you know, you have to establish dialogue. His whole big thing is that when two enemies are talking, they're not fighting. 
uh, you know, nobody can be talking with each other and fighting at the same time. So it's a good point. Um, so I can kind of see both sides of the spectrum. Uh, things did get heated uh, between Daryl and and members of BLM, uh, but like I said, uh, recently. Uh, they've had a couple of uh, appearances together at some universities, uh, and it seems like everybody's kind of smoothed out their differences. And they all basically realize that at the end of the day, everybody kind of wants the same thing. I am the eternal optimist. I do have hope for the future. I truly feel that our current president is the best thing that has happened to this country. I did not support him in the election but I feel that he is the best thing that has happened, that's happened to this country because now this country is talking about a, a cancer that has plagued this country for centuries. That cancer known as racism has metastasized through our society. And in the past, it's been a taboo to talk about it. But now, during this current administration, people are talking about it. People are coming out and forming groups to address these issues. And now that we've had all this experience, shame on us if we don't put it to good use and say, okay, now what can we do to keep us together? So calling Trump, like Trump as the new president, as like the best thing that's ever happened to America, that's that's a pretty bold statement. And while I understand it. I'm going to go ahead and say there's probably a bunch of people out there who are like, what? <laughs> no, like, no. I, I do think um, he's being a little dramatic there. Uh, what do you think the point is that he's trying to get there? Well, then now, you know, this is becoming mainstream. People are now out there. Right. They feel protected under Trump, right? Because Trump is also saying all these kinds of things. And he's not, Trump isn't hiding who he really is and what he really thinks. So then you have all of these, like, you know, what Daryl's referring to, all this sort of these racist, you know, white people also coming out and feel like, oh, I'm protected under the veil of the shadow of Trump or whatever. So right. I'm going to, you know, talk about. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, it, it's, you know, racism has become, you know, one of the biggest issues in the media, you know, since Trump took over. Right. Um, other people will say it's always, you know, this that was the same thing with Barack Obama, and it was to a certain degree, right? I mean, look at how many awful things were said about having right, a, yeah. black, a black president. Yeah. Uh, but I think, to me, and I think the point that Daryl's trying to make that to me makes perfect sense is that there used to be an uh, anonymity of feeling that type of hatred, of, of feeling that type of um, animosity towards other um, races, and somehow that's allowed today. Um, you know, prior to the Trump administration, when you look at all the online trolls, I used to do this stuff. You know, it was, it was places like 4chan or whatever, where, and, you know, every, nobody had their names attached and stuff. Everything was anonymous. Then all of a sudden you see all that stuff on Reddit, you know, and everybody's putting their own names. And then, and then everyone feels that they're entitled to feel that way. And they're saying, you know, hey, what's, you know, why can't I be a white guy that just wants to live in a white community that only has white officers and white teachers and white politicians? And, um, you know, we don't... We don't really see a lot of this out in the open or out in the public um, until Charlottesville. Charlottesville kind of was sort yeah. of the, I feel like, a, a big door opening for the rest of the country. Yeah, and I think thinking back on, you know, President, uh, Obama, President Obama versus President Trump, that, you know, when President Obama got elected, like, I've definitely heard a lot about, oh, see, you know, nobody's racist in America, even though there were the people who were coming out against him and, like, right. oh, my president is not black and all these kinds of things. Right. Um now that, you know, you're forced 
to recognize that there is this real side of America out there that, that is not this. dead, that is out there fighting and thinks that this is the answer, that Trump is the answer, that what Trump believes is the answer. That's the sad thing. I mean, you, you see in the press over and over again about, you know, how hate groups are at an all-time rise. And, da, da, da. and yeah. I, I think there's a certain credibility to that, uh, particularly in the alienated youth that are migrating towards these things. But the sad thing is, is, you know, these organizations have always existed. I mean, they've been out there, you know. And, yeah. you know, for better or for worse, we're starting to see some of them for what they are and where they are. But I do really like Daryl. Um, I loved sitting down and getting to talk with him. He's a super charming guy, super nice guy. I think more people like Daryl Davis in the world uh, is a good thing uh, because I think when people have conversations, that's where they learn about stuff. And that's kind of the point of Unfiltered, our series, is let's, you know, let's dive into that shade of gray. Let's stop living in those black and white worlds. And let's uh, let's look at each other as people and not so much the either political groups or whatever groups we belong to. Exactly. So this is our favorite part of Unfiltered, the podcast. Uh, as you know, this is also a video series, but in the podcast, we get to play you exclusive content, uh, stuff that we've ripped from the editing room floor uh, that you can only hear on the podcast. Uh, so we have one right now, which is a good clip from Daryl Davis. Uh, and it's about the person who he received his first rope from. Yeah, and there's an interesting story there. I was riding in my car with a Klansman. And we were talking, and he brought up the topic of, um, of black crime. He said, well, you know, we all know that black people have a gene within them that makes them violent. And I said, look, man, I said, I'm as black as anybody you've seen. I said, I have never done a drive-by, and I've never done a carjacking. He said, your gene is latent. It hasn't come out yet. And then I said, well, we all know that all white people have a gene within them that makes them a serial killer. He's like, huh? I said, that's right. I said, name me three black serial killers. He couldn't do it. He thought about it, couldn't do it. I said, son, you're a serial killer. He said, Daryl, I haven't killed anybody. I said, your gene is latent, hasn't come out yet. He goes, well, that's stupid. I said, well, duh. I said, yeah, it is stupid but it's no more stupid for me to say that about you than what you said about me. He realized he had the wrong thinking. He quit the Klan, and his robe was the first robe I received. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us on this week's edition of Unfiltered. Next week is, uh, yes, we have William Harder is an avid serial killer memorabilia collector. That's a long title. That's a long title. That's a lot of syllables. There's a lot lot going on there. (laughs) Uh, But basically what that means is, you know, artwork and any type of merchandise that's related to some of the world's most horrific killers, Uh, everyone from uh, Ted Bundy to John Wayne Gacy to Jeffrey Dahmer. So we'll be hearing from William Harder uh, next week on uh, our second edition of Unfiltered, the podcast. So we'll see you guys Friday. You can listen to the podcast every Friday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.